Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. scared you've ever been on Halloween. Hmm. The thing that's freaked you out the most when the veil between worlds is thinnest. Like specifically on Halloween? Yeah, like on Halloween. Uh, have you ever been like legitimately frightened by something? I don't think I ever have. I don't know. Maybe like when I was trick-or-treating at some point and thought like a ghost was gonna get me because it was like pitch black out. Mm. But I was like maybe younger, like eleven. Okay. I don't really know. I didn't like my Halloweens are so weird because it's I'm realizing that I don't have a static thing I do on Halloween. Like there's been enough years no where traditions. I've just been no, not really. Because like there's been enough years where, especially in college and stuff, where like I didn't have friends yet or like a lot of friends that I knew, so I didn't do anything. And mm-hmm. then there's times I just didn't go to parties because I did other things. And then there's mm-hmm. like even this year, like I just didn't do anything because I didn't have. My plans were earlier so I could hang out with my friends so they weren't all right. Halloween, you know? And yeah, Halloween was on a Monday this year. Yeah, it was just weird. I don't know. The scheduling on Halloween didn't work too well. The things that I've encountered that scare me on Halloween are more psychological, I think. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. like what? Well, okay, so this past weekend, yeah, like we celebrated before Halloween. We sure. went to a costume party uh, thing. That, you know, it was, like, put on by, like, this artsy center, and then they had a monster's ball at the tavern place across the street. That's fine. We go to that. Uh, it's partially outdoors, so we're, like, gathered around a fire because it's also cold, and neither <laughs> of our costumes have jackets. Mm. Uh, there is a guy, uh, well, two guys, they're brothers, apparently, uh, both on mushrooms. Oh, no. Uh, one of them is dressed in a uh, homemade cardboard robot costume. Hilarious. And he is wearing cardboard all over <gasps> his body, including his shoes, and he is sticking his foot in the open fire pit. What? Yeah. I, oh, my God. Okay. So super safe, super well thought out. Right. Um, and then the other guy, So, but the other guy... Um, was covered in fake tattoos, no particular costume, just covered in, uh, you know, (laughs) covered in temporary tattoos, uh, all over his body, like up on his face. And he's like trying to get on the bandstand and like, he's like, somebody take a picture of me behind the drum set. And he goes up on the bandstand and the, uh, the bassist is like, if the drummer sees you touching his kit he will kill you oh my god and he's like come on man just take a picture come on so he gets down he's complaining and stuff he's got a um he's got a death eater uh tattoo uh on his forehead oh my god okay and 
you know, people are like, he, he's he's sort of there, but not really. Because again, they're both on mushrooms. Right, they're and, in another dimension at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I mean, this is the thing. I think, obviously, I am you know, for ending uh, prohibition and, you know, bodily autonomy and all that good stuff. I do think people that do drugs need to recognize that they uh, are ruining so many social gatherings. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the lack they, of they, social they, awareness. They don't need. They don't need to go to jail for it. But well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some maybe. I mean, if you do some questionable yeah. things to people on drugs, maybe yeah. But yes. yes, yeah. But anyways, so people keep asking him what he is, uh, right. and he's like, uh, and they're like, "Are you a Death Eater?" And like on a dime, this guy who's standing behind him swerves around. He's dressed as Harry Potter and he leans in and is like, better fucking not be. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter, where'd you come from? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh my god. Yeah. No, but still not the still not the scary. See, okay, okay. here's here's my unsettling Halloween story. Um okay. uh in high school, I was driving to a Halloween party. Uh my uh, actually, uh, you've met him, Isaac, uh, yes. the show. Uh, his mother drove us to a Halloween party. This is like freshman or sophomore year. I think freshman year okay. um, of high school. We don't really know anybody yet. Isaac's like my only friend, and that would continue. Um, <sighs> but uh, I'm dressed as Indiana Jones. We get there. Isaac's mom drops us off at someone's house. I don't remember whose. Uh, and we're there for our Halloween high school party, you know, supervised and everything. Like, we watch Disturbia and, like, there's oh. a fog machine. And there's a caricature artist who draws me in pastels as Indiana Jones. And then is like, okay, let it dry and you can pick it up when you leave. Uh, when it comes time to leave, the drawing is not there. And I'm like, where the heck is it? I look around, can't find it. And then, but you know, Isaac and I leave and I don't think about it. Uh, senior year of high school. I mentioned this like just to be funny. Like, isn't it weird? Like someone like, uh, I don't know what happened, but like I lost this caricature of me dressed as Indiana Jones. And this girl who's sitting with us is like, Oh my God, I've seen it. It's what? on this guy Fry's bedroom wall. What? Yeah, so this guy uh, uh, that I kind of barely knew in high school, he was much more right. popular than me. He kept this caricature <laughs> of me dressed as Indiana Jones <laughs> oh my God. on his bedroom wall <sighs> throughout high school. The things it has seen. That is, that's really weird. Like, does, yeah. does he know it was you or he thought it yes. was? Yes, I, I asked what? him about it. I asked him about it and, I, and he's like, oh, yeah, I totally have it. And I was like, can I, like, have it back? And he's like, no. What? Okay, that's, uh, huh. Mm-hmm. Huh, so, that is psychologically is, disturbing. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Do you, you see, do, you see, do you see where I mean? Yeah, this is like a slow burn horror film a little bit, mm -hmm. you know? That yeah. Is, it's very weird. No, if it turned out he was like obsessed with me, like four years later, you know that uh, that, that would, would be 
Yeah, that's this, scary. Yeah, no, this this would be uh, a horror film. Yeah. God, that is that is very weird, man. Mm. I uh, I mean, that's did I ever tell you that I was like, I have a photo of me that was just like in someone's room that uh, because I, I should clarify. Okay, so when we had a uh, <laughs> please do. One of the clubs that I was in in, in uh, undergrad, there was like a bad art competition, and I'm pretty mm. sure I took. I was working in the print lab at the time, so I took a dad selfie of myself with like ultimate double chin looking down at my phone, and it was through Snapchat, mm-hmm. so it's extra terrible quality. And I printed mm-hmm. it on like really nice paper and matted mm-hmm. it and and like wrapped it around in acetate, so it's like actually a portrait done. And this one guy won the the photograph and like kept it in his room and he told me like two years later he's like yeah no i I have it still i have it hanging on our wall and his girlfriend was very mad about it who was there at the the conversation and i'm like why i was like why do you keep it there like why because it's an awful photograph so oh yeah yeah, it is it is a bit weird my ex-girlfriend hated that i kept a, a framed signed uh headshot of tommy Wusso on the bedroom wall well that's just art obviously yeah um (laughs) but i i hope our visitors to the ucm had a lovely halloween um and uh you know we're gosh the year is uh we're we're now we're now into the holiday season um and this is a topic that uh i guess we should just kind of get into it yeah i think Uh, let's just jump halloween gossip aside uh that we've wanted to talk about for a bit because this is um well should we just say i think we should just say it okay so uh we both read moby dick in the last year yes yes yes. and uh it's brought up a lot of things that we've wanted to have as a as a conversation to just kind of hash out here at the uh uncanny Mm -hmm. county museum because whales seem to occupy this interesting cross-section of things that we are particular we're Mm -hmm. you know particularly interested in we're uh prone to talk about uh industrialization art nature science uh mythology uh all sort of seem to come together and it is something that is very much encapsulated within moby dick Mm-hmm. Um, I think, would you say we were fortunate to not have to read this in school? I think so because, well, mm, I don't, okay. So on the one hand, I think yes, because I think school would have ruined this book for me, but on mm. the other, at a younger age, being so obsessed with literature, I probably would have loved it, you know? Right. So I don't know, but I, it's I, like, a, it's like having an anthem. Hmm. Like. If, if, uh, Chris Christie had gotten his way and, like, Born to Run became the official song of New Jersey, like the state anthem, everyone would resent that song. I agree. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to put it, actually, with Moby Dick. Yes. Because it's a challenging book and it is tedious. And it's also notably a book that, not was not necessarily heralded as a classic in its time, but more twentieth century scholarship yes. put it on the on the pedestal that it now has in academia. Yeah, I mean, I think 
it definitely deserves it for many mm-hmm. reasons that we'll talk yeah. about. I think it, it, it was a little misunderstood at the time, too, by some. And even now, it still kind of is. I definitely... This this book took me a while to read. It took me like two or three months to get through it. And I paced myself with it because I had I was teaching and, you know, I've been teaching, so I have a lot going on and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I always make time to read and I... There's just some sections of it I personally was like, all right, let's let's wrap it up here. Come on, let's, let's right. keep it going. But I'll say this: I'm still thinking about it today, and I learned a lot mm-hmm. about like a lot about whales from it, and whaling mm-hmm. in general. And there's a there's two sections of this book that I feel like are just so well done, or maybe three actually that are so well done. Which is the beginning of it is amazing. <laughs> it's actually hilarious and amazing because mm-hmm. you're reading something from like 1850 and 2022 and so much still exists in our world. Uh, right. The part that he is describing the whales and actually talking about them is very fascinating and, and the different types that is. And then towards the end when the like full-blown insanity is happening and it is just an right. all-out race to find Moby Dick. Um, yeah. So I, all of that in, there was like moments where I was captivated by this book and it honestly is... It, I, I was making artwork generated off of it, you know, making different projects, thinking about this constantly, thinking about the industrialization of whaling, materiality connected with whales, our connection as human beings with whales. There's a lot there. And that's sort of why right. we have this tour uh, set up uh-huh. almost around the book in this way, because it really roots itself in this history going backwards in time you know to the past but then also being contemporary at that moment in the 18 mm-hmm. uh, 30s to 50s i believe in that area I could be very wrong but that's what i remember it kind of being in yeah um, 1850s i, I mean I, th- I think it's, it's meant written to in be the kind 50s, of i believe right? yeah it, it's it, and i think it's meant to be a kind of uh contemporary account like yes this would, yeah because Moby Dick was loosely based on a real event of uh, a whale that had been um sort of fighting back at whaling ships. It's not necessarily ripped from the headlines, but uh, it very much is this um, slightly past the peak of the Nantucket whalers. Right. Um, and this tradition of whaling in that uh, that's sort of uh, born from the northeast of uh, the United States. Uh, and that, that legacy that, you know, people are still aware of to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I was trying to imagine someone reading this book uh, and would they not have heard of clam chowder before? Because he spends a mm. good chapter talking about <laughs> clam chowder. Yeah, I know. And I was like, we all know what clam chowder is. Was that, is. Was that like, not well known outside of Massachusetts? I, well, I guess not. Right. Because that's a pretty big, like I think, like what Massachusetts, maybe Maine, like Northeast America, maybe at that time. But it, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's that. Bi- it's definitely not a big thing down south because I imagine that's a warm dish, you know, because it's cold. Yeah, well, e- even Ishmael remarks um, when he's offered, he thinks he's getting chilled clams, and it's so cold out. He's right. like, "Why are they bringing us uh, clams on a cold day like this?" And right. Suddenly comes clam chowder. Uh, or chowder. Um, you have to imagine this whole book. You have to imagine they're talking with cartoonish, historic uh, Massachusetts, uh, Boston accents. That's the only way to do it. Uh, you kind of yes. I actually pictured. <laughs> I pictured a lot of people being kind of like Willem Dafoe in the Lighthouse, like that mm. type of talking. Even though he's more like Maine sailor. 
I like I think that was my interpretation for like Ahab or Yeah, no, or especially Ahab cuz I think Ahab is it, it, Ahab's family is also I think from Nantucket. I think that's I think so. Yeah. It's like a yeah. whole, he has a whole lineage connected to it. Right. But I guess to quickly summarize, in case you uh, don't have the time or will to read this book, and I think we we can just go ahead and, you know, do some spoilers, because I think chances are you already know how this book ends, um, yeah. because it it's just so much in the zeitgeist. Uh, but if I can summarize real quick, yes, uh, there is this figure, this uh, young man named Ishmael. He sort of has this... we we sort of just jump into his life he's somewhat aimless he decides i want to go on an adventure so he uh travels to uh the coast of massachusetts he uh befriends a polynesian uh uh spear thrower like harpooner uh named queequeg uh, they become friends. They go on a uh, voyage. Uh, they they find a whaling ship that they think you know is, uh, you know, going to bring them fortune and uh, adventure on the high seas, or at least Ishmael does. I think Ishmael is there. There is some concern of the money, especially towards the beginning. But anyways. They go on uh, this voyage, uh, and as they are on the voyage, they become more acquainted with the Captain Ahab, uh, and as the voyage goes on, they start to realize that even though they're out there to make money uh, and accomplish this, Ahab seems to have his own mission in mind, and it begins to unfold that Ahab is completely obsessed with... uh, uh, finding Moby Dick, which is the whale that bit off his leg, that has this, sort of this whale that is fighting back against the whalers. And his obsession is just, it just consumes him. And they are out in the middle of the, you know, Pacific Ocean hunting one specific whale, giving up uh, other uh, opportunities, all in the name of Ahab's obsession, and it eventually uh, destroys the ship, kills everyone on board except for Ishmael, who uh, floats away in a coffin made for his friend when they thought he was going to uh, die earlier on in the story. Um, And through the book, it's all being told from Ishmael's point of view, so you have like some idea, okay, well, Ishmael must survive, but you're watching Ishmael recount the story of all of these uh characters around him his studies all of the things that he is trying to take in and form this worldview all surrounding whales ishmael is constantly trying to compare things in the bible to whaling to every imaginable mythology that a moderately educated person in the 1800s would have been associated with trying to tie it all back to whaling and humans going out trying to uh, confront monsters, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. And what sort of unfolds is ultimately the monster being on board the ship with them all along. Yeah, yeah, that's a a really good summary, actually, of that. I, I definitely... 
you hit all the points for sure um yeah yeah I, I, I saved i saved someone uh several hours of reading it is uh, it is something you could watch a YouTube video of and get a solid idea. But I do think to defend the experience mm-hmm. of reading the book, there is kind mm-hmm. of nothing like it. It is this really yeah. it is it, it is, is a wonder it, it is an experience that I think you know, just as in a quick aside, this book is in every single fictional story that takes place on the in the ocean, essentially, pirate story, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. non-pirate story. It doesn't need every single movie that has the an ocean scene in it makes a reference to Moby Dick every single time. I've realized this, and it has ruined me. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I watched a kids movie that is just Moby Dick and like Pacific Rim had a baby. Essentially, it's just like a combined fictional thing. It, it's mm-hmm. weird how much the Ahab archetype. It's not really weird. It's obviously intentional, but that the Ahab archetype character is in so many stories, and there's I a mean, reason Jaws. for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he shows up in just so much and it makes sense i mean that that obsession this idea of mm-hmm. the control over something and uh, over nature you know this this doubtful quest and also leading people to their death it's it's pretty right it's heavy for sure well, but it, 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 especially the way that ishmael frames it like as if this is something that humanity must do we must right. go out and confront the leviathan and it takes there's a scene early in the book where they're uh listening to a uh a sermon uh at a church you know next to a graveyard of you know whalers lost at sea listening to the sermon about noah and connecting it to whaling this idea that this is this ancient practice that they are all participating in this war with nature and you can definitely what's interesting about it is it is very romantic but it does seem to be also commenting on that romanticism that obsession with confronting nature i mean i feel like i was reading through this book listening to how dangerous these whales are i was like yeah you know what I'm completely turned around on this. We need to be going out there. We need to be hunting these whales. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> Did I get the wrong message? Maybe from the book. Uh, you might have. <laughs> Joe, there's no. whales out there. They are mocking us and our free will. I mean, are you just yeah. gonna let? Are you just gonna take that? You're not gonna go fight these whales. I don't really want Joe, to. Joe, God is out there, and we need to go hunt and kill him. It took me a minute to connect that. I guess, yes, God is in the whale. I mean, God did send the whale to take Jonah, so... Oh, I said Noah, not Jonah. Oh. I meant Jonah. I, I meant mean, I'm Jonah. sure there's a whale story in the Noah one, too. It's it's a big But fish. I don't think the whale the whales didn't have to no, go in the ark. No, they didn't. They were swimming. They were probably happy. Yeah, uh, the, no, the Jonah they, the, Jonah and the whale is that. They Jonah mentioned that whale. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. He did run away from it, though. He had to face his problems. So right, but although, yeah, and but that, but, but also fish. just the the wild stretches that they do yeah. of trying to say that like, oh, this Greek monster actually was a whale. All <laughs> so along. funny. Well, that's the thing. And like, part of me is like, I could see this is like how evangelicals talk. Like, this is like in general how a lot of people will justify uh, certain I th- things. I th- but I think they are evangelicals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, well, they're Quakers. Well, wait, a lot in, of the, them are in the Quakers. in the church specifically in that scene. 
Yeah, what are they? I d- are they Quakers or are they? They they're, might they're be Quakers. Some, I don't know if they're evangelicals, but they're there's some it's a, type of New England Protestant. Yeah, because they're it's a whaling chapel. It's like a very specific niche group because it was like designed for right. those families, which I thought was also very fascinating. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, I mean, they're that whole scene is because of it being connected with the whalers and the community of whalers because they make it very clear that like nantucket was once home to the indigenous peoples who lived there who also hunted whales and then the you know colonizers came in and still hunt whales and it's like this it's interesting because they talk about the history of it and ishmael's recounting it but uh, to me at least there was a lot of digs at that like mm-hmm. at colonialism and at this like takeover and and kind of mm-hmm. industrialization and it's the the foundation happens in the beginning and then it slowly builds to the end right and I thought that was I, really interesting yeah. so like for me the church scene is another element of that where it's like these people who are risking their lives every day and their family like members die at sea you know sons and and fathers and then they're like going to war with leviathan essentially to justify it yeah. and it's the well, it, do, it does it does feel like it's built up as if they are going to war yeah and it, i i think it's such an interesting contrast because it's treated as this ancient tradition and yet this is something that could only come about because of a globalizing industrial force yeah, the industrial yeah. revolution is now happening and like you you one one of the things that i think moby dick does well as as an overview of the profession is you know not only does it go into how dangerous it is but right. all of the technical skills all of the money and effort that goes into what kind of seems like this impossible task to us like okay you're going out on the ocean uh, pre uh, internal combustion engine, right? Uh, or I guess they would have had trains back then. But okay, they're at the, the tail end of having potential engines in their ships. Uh, like yeah, it's it's starting they're, they're, to happen. Yeah, but Nova they're going Dick. out on on a on a ship with with sails. Yeah, you know, they're not they're not going yeah. out there on steamships. No, they're that's a wooden out, boat. You know, it's... they're going out on a wooden boat to nowhere in particular just open ocean <laughs> right uh it's to insane. find whales catch them process them and bring them back and you're gone for years three and every every i think trip was about three years or more give or take yeah and all of this the the, the potential to uh to die from disease from mishap from the whales themselves all of this and supposedly there is some money to be made off of it and going after such a specific resource that you know is being used in industrial production but is also being used for perfume it seems like just this crazy amount of effort you wouldn't possibly think that it could be worth it and yet it was this incredibly lucrative uh industry And so lucrative that the whalers are going to parts of the world that aren't really being uh, trodden by other, you know, uh, Europeans, places that they would they have previously not have had um, any reason to go to. And that is a point in that Ishmael makes that 
whalers are often sort of the first they're the the sharp pointed the spear of of civilization in their eyes that mm-hmm. the first merchant uh people to get anywhere are going to be the whalers because they're going all over the world to every remote location looking for whales so you have all of these cultures interacting with each other as well which also is in highlighted in Moby Dick that they don't really seem to care that uh you know Queequeg uh retains his Polynesian culture and religion they're willing to sort of see some like unitarian view of it like that you know he's he's praying to his god which could be the same as our god even though he's a cannibal right uh, <laughs> and you know there there's certainly the the tropes of the noble savage there uh but it's not about that it's this weird yeah. meritocracy on board as well all to say that religion and culture and effort is all trumped by the dollar in the end that mm. this the this drive for profit of the people that own the ship back in Massachusetts yeah that that all of this is is being done uh, based on their based on their capital but yeah essentially and and you know this is the 1850s i i think a lot of these ideas were in the air yes um yeah and and melville seems to be aware of a lot of these things but i think it's hard to it's it's because i'm not personally like an expert on melville his other writings or this book in particular i think we're both sort of spitballing off of our our experience of it you have to wonder about a couple of different things one uh how homoerotic is that first chapter i think it is I think yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I think he knew what he was doing. That was not. Yeah, yeah. That was not. We are just close friends. Let me get into bed with this stranger, and he will comfort me. Let me write like, about him right. as if we are on our wedding night. I wake up with my new best friend Quique, <laughs> who is very, who is very scary to me at first, but then we wake up, uh, and our legs are tangled together. Yeah, you know? it's like, ha. Huh, okay, this is not where yeah. I thought this was gonna go. It's kind of wonderful, you know, it's very... So there, yeah, but there's that, and then yeah. there's, um, I think Ishmael, because there is a lot of science about whales in this book, yes. um, and a lot of it is entirely wrong, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess in the 1850s, you know, pre, uh, a, a concept of uh, evolution by natural selection, we can excuse some of that. However, some of it I still think is, even for the time, slightly out of date. It makes me um it makes me wonder if Melville is writing Ishmael as a little bit of out of his depth. Like I uh, yes. he's mm-hmm. like someone someone ne- that we would know now that just quotes a lot of pop science that doesn't yeah. really average average Joe Rogan listener. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Am I wrong? You know what? Am I wrong? <laughs> Moby Dick is basically it is a lot like the Joe Rogan experience where Ishmael uh, <laughs> is just sitting there uh 
meeting much more interesting people than himself. Yeah, I mean, he's had some crazy <laughs> conversations during this, and they all have something to say about what the use of whale meat can be for, or the best way to stay healthy, or whatever. So, I mean, it's kind of similar. But I, I think like I, I don't, I don't know what Ishmael's, uh, <laughs> you know, position on ivermectin is. Oh um, God. But, but, like, but, like, he cites things like phrenology, which by the yeah. 1850s would not, would have been falling out of favor. He cites things like, um, uh, there, there's parts where he's talking about the Basilosaurus. Yes. Which, again, was something named by a phrenologist and was pretty quickly uh, identified as a prehistoric whale, not as a, a reptile. Ishmael is making reference to whales being fish uh yeah and even like says like some people say they're mammals but i i believe they they are fish they they meet the criteria of being a fish yeah i mean i think here's my going theory because i read i read the this like afterward by i forget his name but it was like a harvard scholar at the time because my book Mm -hmm. the book i read was from like the 60s you know so it was Uh, like that copy it's like a vintage copy that was kind of entertaining to read but hard to read in this way um, but he made a point where it, it was like looking at Ishmael as almost this person who is going like, well, because I should start here, actually, that Herman Melville was going around gathering all of this research before even writing the book. And right. then you have the character of Ishmael who's kind of doing a similar thing, right? Like getting that yeah. experience, going around and talking to whalers because he doesn't have an experience in it. And I think it's plausible that he would just be recounting everything everybody told him and not really sorting yeah. it, right? Like that's my going yeah. theory that it's like he is somebody that it, someone's telling him all these stories, all these older whalers are explaining the, the difference between a right whale and a humpback whale and they all have different names. And then also that yeah. actually it's a fish and oh, actually it's, the, you know, and like he's just saying it to us to recount it, to pass right. it down. And I think it's intentional because everything in this book I'm realizing is a symbol and is intentional and there's like meaning to it. It is very clear that there's a lot here that's like supposed to be read differently. It's not just one big like, um, you know, it's it's not like, no, this is actually a science book now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 got a right. twist in there that I feel like if you don't recognize it could go under like it could be undermined a little bit and then people yeah. will take it as reality but i do think like right it's intentional in that way well ishmael right away is made to feel like uh he is um you know uh insufficient for the journey you know he goes in to interview for the job you know thinking he's going to get one salary and the offer is so far below that you know it's almost right. embarrassing to say what you were expecting which relatable um right in a job interview that you think is going well and isn't yeah uh but he you know mentions he's a merchant marine or worked as a merchant marine and they're just immediately like not the same thing you know you you don't know and i i I don't know if i've mentioned this uh at the museum before but my uh grandfather was actually a merchant marine uh and that was one of those things where his uh, stepfather dropped him off at the docks and was like, good luck. Oh, my God. OK. And just, you know, when he was like a pretty, by our standards, a very young man uh, to just go and live with a bunch of hardened sailors and travel all around the world doing God knows what. Jesus. Um, 
but but he's uh his his point of view any expertise he has is discounted in the face of seasoned whalers you know um kinda, I, I could kinda I get could, it you know i could t- I, so i could yeah but i could i could see your point that um mm-hmm. uh ishmael is deferring to other people yeah yeah and i think because that's that would explain a lot of those like inconsistencies with it too and of course we could be wrong we're not we're not moby dick experts i'm sure there are actually experts of that book out there so (laughs) you know if any of you are listening please correct us but Mm -hmm. um or if anybody if anyone in the audience actually knows more about this book than we do please email us uh, at Mm -hmm. uncannycountymuseum at gmail.com about Mm -hmm, it or mm -hmm. dm us on instagram but yeah i i think it is it is fascinating in that way, and especially like as the lineage is called on to, because that was one thing you were mentioning also that they look at it as like this tradition, and then the way that they're doing it now, where it's a bit different. And one of the th- the things that they talk about in the book, but I also knew just in general, um, is that how long you know humans have been interacting with whales in terms of like right. as a part of a diet, but also material wise. And it's mm-hmm. usually, you know, you, you have that happen with a lot of, like, the Inuit tribes up north. Um, also, the Pacific Northwest indigenous peoples are interacting with them as well. And then um, the Scandinavians, too, are noted for active whaling. And the Japanese, actually. And I know, like, some of the earliest whaling goes back, like, 4,000 years or so. Right, um, yeah. And, but, like, one of the things that I was... I've been I was thinking about especially when I hit the middle of the book and why this has kind of prompted a lot of what we're talking about today too but that that specific like materiality when it comes to whaling and they mention it in Moby Dick a lot but it's it's a lot it's it's different and before moving into the book in historical accounts like specifically with um you know just in terms of like the Norwegians let's say or what the Norwegians would have been thousands of years ago there's a lot of accounts of like of whales being hunted for the use of blubber and oil, of course, but for different reasons. And then also for their bones in particular too, to be used as Mm -hmm. tools. And I know with some Inuit tribes, it's the same thing for blubber being used as well as eating the whale meat. And the same thing for the Scandinavians as well. It's a really good source of protein. It's a really good source of meat to feed an entire village because it's a huge animal. And all of those, um, materials end up being used. And actually in a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of the baleen whales would be used their their baleen in particular would be used for like basketry and other types mm-hmm. of material items as well which is fascinating so my point is earlier groups of people all over the world quite literally are using the whale for everything it's got all the mm-hmm. material not over hunting there's a sustainable activity happening here whales are prospering for a while right then somebody figured out it's actually you know that somebody figured out in Europe that uh, whale oil burns really well mm-hmm. and for a long mm-hmm. time and then that sparks this entire different trade that you know 15 1600s onward into the 1800s when uh, Moby Dick is taking place that it just becomes more and more of a commodity used for more and more things all over industrialization and it just, then if, if it if it wasn't so if it wasn't historical it would seem like a very heavy-handed metaphor that there is this enormous creature that a single one could supply so much for a community and then we literally like in the enlightenment suddenly irony right it's It's so ironic (laughs) yeah no it but it it burns 
you know yeah it's it it almost feels like too heavy-handed of a metaphor for the enlightenment and, <laughs> and the industrial revolution <laughs> but, but it's reality it's like this it actual is. real it thing is. and because it is they're they're sacred you know and a lot of cultures and honestly makes a lot of sense it right. makes a lot a lot of sense in how close we are to it to them and it's just this sad very very sad thing that occurs and still it occurred and still occurs and that we still have the effects of it like that's the crazy part that mm-hmm. you know you can look at moby dick as a story and this thing of fiction and from the past that's real or historical fiction if we even want to consider it that too because i feel like it kind of is in a way that we still have the reverberations of it. Like lots of mm-hmm. different whale populations. The right whale actually in particular, and I believe the Atlantic right whale is like critically endangered with like some mm-hmm. 400 left. It's, it's, it's scary how mm-hmm. really endangered lots of different whales oh, are yeah. because I of this time some, period. It's something like um, 99% of all blue whale uh, were, were killed. Yeah. So well, the fact all, that there's only ten to twenty thousand left is like horrifying to me, mm-hmm. give or take. Yeah, but I mean that is so. But I mean, I think this is where our some of our discomfort at seeing uh, people doing traditional whaling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a little bit of discomfort about it because I think, at least in the United States from the seventies onward, I think we rightfully so have been pretty anti-industrial whaling yeah uh i i think i i you know bold stance but i feel like we were on the right side of that one i um, think yes i agree i think that was a good <laughs> a good move you know um, i you know who's to say if our dependence on petroleum has fared the world much better but at least we stopped using you know whales to grease our car axles or whatever but when we try to look at this from that perspective of all whaling is bad uh, and unsustainable, we then run into our other considerations of, uh, well, there are people who have been doing this for thousands of years and you are now, uh, you know, speaking down to them from an industrialized Western nation uh, that, uh, that screwed up essentially yeah. too. That you literally yeah, messed it up. That's the irony to me. Like, there's this crazy thing too. Like, I think um, it was the um, oh, it's the Macaw tribe in Washington, mm-hmm. Washington State. Actually, was petitioning to like resume whale hunting or hunting mm-hmm. of the gray whale, which is endangered in in uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. And what was happening when they they did a tribal. They they had a um a treaty in like 1835 that the in exchange for hunting rights right and being mm-hmm. able to practice they had to give like 300,000 acres of tribal land at least to the way I understood it so anyway mm. this can and they were able to access some hunting which is insane to me because it's like well they were there first but whatever uh so anyway bringing that back into modern time like 2011 you know that's all they're they're allowed to hunt like one a year or something like that and that's mm-hmm. it in terms of practicing and. And again, whale hunting, industrial whale hunting, not great at all. Like, I think we could take the stance of, yes, it's a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. But in the case of whale hunting and traditional whale hunting, like in the Macaw tribe's uh, perspective in this way, Mm -hmm. it's a part of their tradition that's really culturally important. And it was stripped away by predominantly North American whale expeditions and hunting and industrialization. And they screwed it up. Settlers messed it up, and then industrial, mm-hmm. the industrialization really 
put us in this position and now they take it out mm-hmm. on them and it's this very it's just like it's an this is my my limited language it's a very icky feeling you know to to yeah. to almost like point blame at people and being like you have to stop doing this because we've corrected our right. ways and it's like i think you missed the point a little bit here mm-hmm. um but, but i mean what we've we've had this conversation before about about veganism because like on, on the one hand vegans and a lot of animal rights experts are technically you know correct at the atrocious ways that factory farming treats yeah it's awful it's actually awful yeah yeah to then you know completely try to put ourselves as so morally superior that we would never use a product uh that comes from (sighs) yeah an ant another animal i think is a another slippery slope to uh, another kind of human superiority, but particularly a you know in a that of a first world nation, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, have you ever heard of the Yuan people of uh, what is now uh, New South Wales in Australia? I don't think I have actually. So they're a, an Aboriginal tribe there uh, that that lived there historically. Um, and they were whalers, but they actually had uh, an arrangement with the local mm. killer whales of that region. Um, there was sort of this point uh, that would go out onto into the water, and it was kind of this choke point for uh, whales migrating up from Antarctica, a lot of mink whales. Hmm. And uh the killer whales would smack the water with their fins uh and the uh uh un people sort of had this arrangement with them that they would hunt the whales together when uh the first uh white australians arrived there and worked as whalers um this is kind of before offshore whaling was uh as prominent but the the whalers were kind of the first people, the first white settlers there, you know, much like it is uh, stated in Moby Dick. Um, but they continued this arrangement with the killer whales and they were living alongside the UN. So they actually sort of continued this. And there's stories of them communicating with the killer whales uh, to coordinate these mm. hunts of baleen whales that were passing through. So they would smack the water with their oars in response to the whales, uh, to to the orcas uh, smacking the water. Um, The arrangement was that the killer whales would herd the baleen whales towards the shore. The whalers would go out in their boats, uh, harpoon the whales that they wanted, um, the killer whales would keep away sharks, um, and uh, th- there was sort of this mutual understanding that uh, the killer whales would take what they wanted, which were uh, things like the lips and the tongue that hmm. they particularly wanted to eat, and would leave behind all the blubber uh, and everything that the whalers wanted to process. Huh. And this is something that comes from both uh, Aboriginal and uh, settler accounts of this. The UN had sort of this, uh, they they considered the killer whales like almost part of their uh, tribe as 
almost as a part of their mythology. Hmm. And to some extent, this uh, leaked into the settlers culture as well. They had uh, their stories of them helping each other out. The uh, killer whales helping uh, uh, whalers that fell out of their boats. Uh, the whalers helping orcas that got caught in their lines. And this this arrangement was called the law of the tongue because oh. the orcas got to uh, take their favorite parts, the, the tongue, apparently, of these whales, and then the rest would be taken by the whalers. Hmm. Um, so this arrangement continued until one day uh, a... Uh, settler who apparently was unfamiliar with this situation uh killed an orca that had accidentally beached itself uh while trying to help them during the hunt and <sighs> this course. apparently just ruined the relationship forever and the the killer whales even though there were individuals that were known and lived for some time including one individual named uh old tom who stuck around but this type of whaling was pretty much over from that point onward. Hmm. Uh, and on the one hand, it's it's a little terrifying to be the baleen whales in this situation because it's not great. It's not no. Yeah, it's not great. Um, if there was if there was an animal on Earth that was going to help us out uh, in <laughs> this, I guess it would be orcas. It, it would be orcas. They are brutal, but so cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're. This is really interesting, though. I mean, I, I, it's so fascinating to hear about that, like, human... This 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 human and then whale relationship that mm -hmm. expands past, like, even language to a certain extent, mm -hmm. right? Like, it, it doesn't... There's not really that complex at play. It's, okay, you help me, I help you. It's that, like, relationship that can be established to both benefit from. And to me, that's also a great example of, like, you know, how... I guess even like just being connected to the earth in general and how mm -hmm. real that can get without being a bit right. like, cause you know, that's a, that's trope. That's a trope in terms too of like vegan type of mentality, you know, that we're talking about where it's like, we have to live in harmony, but we can't hurt anything. And it's like, the orcas are hurting a lot of things, you know, they got to eat too. I understand. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that idea of human and animal helping each other to solve a problem. And in that case, it's processing blubber and, getting a meal out of it is fascinating right mm -hmm. like that idea mm -hmm. that that the relationship go, can go beyond just like what we think we know as humans about the world when in reality there's a solid right. chance we don't know that much about our owner yeah and i think that that's it's just interesting like having these type of examples really upsetting though that it's over in a sense well maybe not for over whaling but like in the in or maybe not for the bay, <laughs> yeah, you know no, killing I, all those baleen whales isn't it's, great it's but com it's com it's complicated it's complicated I mean, I, because I, I think one of the things that, um, to go back to Moby Dick for a moment, like, you get this, you do have sort of this sense of uh, humanity trying to meet nature on, uh, on its turf, and um, sort of the terror of, mm. of being out there feeling uh like like it is humanity against nature uh i think yeah think things like this blur that line a little bit more. a little yeah but it's um 
like I, I can't help but also think about like there's there's a very uh, odd scene in Moby Dick uh, that is described where they're going through the spermaceti sort of like uh, separating out the clumps in it. You know? uh, yeah. But it's a weirdly sensual scene. Like even I think Ishmael's hand like brushes up against the guy who's doing it with him, you know? Yeah. And it sounds so, uh, it sounds so otherworldly. And in, in it's, there's a lot of things in the, in the time of the book that we can recognize uh, culturally, linguistically, personality wise. And then there's these other things where you feel like this, this very much came from another era where it's, it, it was not as apparent. And maybe this book was uh, co- coming right up against the time period where it would be recognized. But it was, it was a time when these two things seemed like they were on even footing. The wilderness with all of its unpredictability and uh, sort of majesty and romantic ideas of uh, some sort of order within the chaos up against Mm. uh, human mechanization and industry. That the, yeah. the, two, the two the two worlds were at odd with each other, and in dis- an industry was starting to get the upper hand of it. Um, yes, and I, I I think in that era you had a renewed interest in looking at nature as as an extension of religion uh, in a way that hmm. was almost a recognition that. Uh, nature was just so profoundly different than the industrializing world. Right. And there, there's there's this book called uh, God in Search of Man by uh, Abraham Heschel. And one of the things he talks about with the end of that era is finally humans understanding that, oh, we actually won, kind of. And... Nate, we can't worship nature anymore because nature is at our mercy. Ooh, that is that's haunting. Actually, yeah. that is that is some power. <laughs> yeah, that that is a powerful word. Oh man. Yeah, that it it kind of doesn't. Um, it, it kind of nature worship almost kind of can't comport with us now. No, yeah, I, I absolutely agree because it's really. We're so far removed at this point, too. And, and even mm-hmm. more so growing up in, like, the, well, late 90s, 2000s, right? It's just, like, yeah. yeah, unless I guess you grew up in the wilderness. But I I think we've even talked about this a little bit, too, when we talked about, like, la- wilderness and frontier and landscape on a, as a long mm-hmm. while ago in terms of tours. Um, but... You know, it's it's like an it's a theme that comes up a lot when dealing with that time period. I, it definitely in works from that time period, but even in like ones that go back to that, I've been playing a lot of I've mm-hmm. been playing Red Dead Redemption Two again for some reason, <laughs> uh, mostly because I got it on sale and I was like, I'll relive my trauma from this game, and um, that's like the reoccurring theme essentially of of 
you know, it's it's that you have this gang of criminals who don't see themselves necessarily that way because they're trying to rebel against the looming modernization of humanity that they see as very cold and hard and kind of the end of everything. And they're trying to be involved in nature, but they have to steal from the people in order to make money so that way they can live within this world and escape. And it's this just paradox that the main character, you know, Arthur is going Mm -hmm. through and trying to navigate and that's kind of happening at the same time as this, right? It's a it's a little later. It's like 1899, mm. I believe, in that okay, game. Okay. But it's like at the end. Like they are literally like the car is about to be invented. It's pretty much right. over, but they're out west and then moving east. So there's this constant push, and they're actually pushed out of the West, which was supposed to be the last frontier by the Pinkertons because they're basically about to be mm-hmm. arrested. So it's this mm-hmm. whole navigation of like the deep South and then into like the East and this, you know, coming to terms with like the, the their Saint Denis, which is the, our equivalent of New Orleans and just dealing with that and dealing with the mm-hmm. looming modernization and people making fun of the cowboy stereotype walking into a city and stuff. But I mean, it's, it's just a really fascinating concept and you see it a lot in Westerns. Whereas I think though, Westerns and some of the Westerns tend to take this in a more like, uh, like the glory, the the capital R romanticization of that time period of being free and an outlaw. This, Mm-hmm. This game traps you into that trope, but it reveals something deeper. So in connecting it back to Moby Dick, I think there's a lot in that time that I felt like was doing that. And maybe it's because I'm coming off of that understanding of around the end of this era where there really is no escape from, you know, mechanization or the yeah. machine and that humanity created something pretty awful when we think about mm-hmm. it and, and and as i say this as we're as we have the lights on in the museum right. and how we have heat and such but yeah it isn't great like when you really think about it deep only, down it's only just not less than 10 percent of the heating at the uncanny county museum <laughs> comes from whale oil we're doing our part i i hope so i mean <laughs> we should have had that replaced years Whales, ago Incredibly. the bison of the sea it kind of are though that was another thing i was immediately thinking of actually when mm-hmm. when i was reading that part of the book when they're actually uh slaughtering the whales for the the did you, it's spermaceti right i think i kept saying spermaceti and i'm like they're not italian it's <laughs> not gonna it's somehow worse there's what, no okay way to say I, that yeah, word i'm I, sorry i like I, I like my spermaceti with uh, a red sauce <laughs> it sounds like it it's i don't know how to pronounce it it's so confusing oh and then i was saying so, like i was like it's spermicide i'm like it's not that that's not the right so, one it's, uh. so historically what happened was the reason the sperm whale is called that is because of spermaceti uh which right. is the fluid that is uh in the the bulbous part of their uh their heads that, yeah that really uh brick shaped uh head that they have because if you looked at the skull of a whale, you wouldn't necessarily know to reconstruct it with that. Um, yeah. So spermaceti, I think, was mistaken to be just a ton of sperm in the head of these <laughs> animals, which is why it was called that, because it is a white substance. Really, what it is, is this fluid that is in the what what's called in toothed whales, the melon. Um, mm. which is, 
essentially sort of the receiver for, or, or, or sorry, not the receiver, but is part of the, the, the transmitting of their uh, echolocation. Oh. Um, so huh. uh, um, I, think, I think we've touched on this a little bit before, but in mammals, uh, our ears are connected uh, in a lot of ways anatomically and uh, uh, to our lower jaws. Um, hmm. so I, I know about this, this is true for, uh, dolphins. I think it might be a little different for things like, uh, larger toothed whales, but for a dolphin, the melon, that round part, that big round forehead they have is sending out the, um, the sounds because when, when dolphins make sounds, it's actually coming out of their blowhole, not their mouth. That's um, freaky. <laughs> Oh, okay, that makes me that, mark that as why yeah. I don't like dolphins. Yeah, dolphins. imagine imagine oh. if someone looked at you, their mouth was open, but they were still uh, oh. talking to you. Oh, scary! That is frightening. <laughs> it's all coming out of their nose. Oh my god, no! Because because also remember that the blowhole is technically their nose. Wait, it is? Yeah, it's their nostrils. Huh? Yeah. That's unsettling. I don't know if I like that. Okay, well, that's a fact I didn't know. <laughs> Zan now you own whales for <laughs> They were um, no. <laughs> so what happens is, so the melon transmits out the sound, um, okay. and then it is received in the lower jaw, which is why it protrudes in oh. uh, dolphins. Um, so whale. So basically, what they would not have necessarily understood was the echolocation that the whales were using, and this is what is the, the fluid filling the um mm, the melon of the sperm right. whale they're particularly interested in god whales are so cool that's so yeah cool. i mean it's, it makes it so much more horrifying that they were butchering them <laughs> for the specific amazing you know mm -hmm. part of them but mm -hmm. jesus yeah yeah um i mean do you know i mean like because i i realize like their anatomy is very confusing but like you know whales are fairly closely related to even hoofed even hoofed um ungulates uh even toed ungulates so things like cows giraffes deer uh huh. they all there there were actually a whole bunch of hoofed predatory uh mammals uh you know 50 million years ago and their uh their relatives would have become these animals that could uh you know sort of go back and forth between the water and the land um they would have looked like a cross between like a crocodile and an otter Weird. but those those things like ambulocetus pachycetus uh they would have gone on to uh become the whales uh their back legs getting more and more reduced they held on to their little tiny back legs for a while uh <laughs> You know, sort of like the way anacondas still kind of have their back yeah. legs, like to, to hold on for mating. But you know, eventually uh, becoming more streamlined, uh, and you know, then evolving into the two main groups of whales that we have today. Uh, ho uh, I almost said hoofed whales, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which would be. Uh, <laughs> toothed whales and baleen whales <laughs> right right i mean hear me out though they're all hoofed if, whales technically i mean tech give give the whales back their legs and 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 you know their hooves 
be mm-hmm. pretty menacing on Earth, you know, just walking on Terra. That would be pretty scary. Just a blue whale with full legs. I mean, I mm. I mean, God, could you I mean, the the killer whale already kind of looks like the xenomorph. <laughs> it does. It could be like um, I, I do not like this anime, but it could be like, uh, what is his name? It's like King Orca or something from I, My Hero Academia. He is just a whale and it's like in the form of a man <laughs> and it's very freaky. But um, mm. anyway, so that's kind of what I picture. I mean, orca whales, I feel like, are close to that. They could definitely eventually make it to land and start negotiating with us. They have their own languages. It's very fascinating. Right. Well, an, a wild orca has never killed a person in, like, recorded history. Yeah, but... they do not want... They find us fascinating, and I always find that interesting. They they genuinely find us... In, like. But, like, what if one day the law of the tongue is, uh, you know, they, they they get revenge on us, like... You know, what if suddenly the, we, lo- we lose Puget Sound, you know, because mm. it falls to the Orcas. <laughs> Maybe they'll just take like, you know, Seattle and Vancouver and that whole strip and that'll be their territory. I think, mm. honestly, I feel like that's when we'd have to summon the families, though. You know, we'd have to send our best representatives to meet with the Orca representatives and then it's going to be like Shark Tale all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Whale Mafia. Yeah. I I think the way, I I think that's one way you can look at whale pods. They are kind of like a mafia. Yeah. Whale mafia. That's my favorite uh, techno group. <laughs> whale mafia. That's not a bad name, actually. <laughs> did I ever? You know what? Now that we're talking about this, did I ever tell you my irrational fear of whale sounds? Did we ever talk about this? No, you don't oh. like you don't like uh, whale step. <laughs> no, I really don't. Actually, uh, yeah. this is my vulnerability to the the tour we're providing. But yeah, no, I actually hate whale noises. They really make me uncomfortable. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We had ambient whale noise playing during this exhibit. This yeah, exhibit. that's why I've just been on edge the whole time. Uh, I mean, it, it, it like I feel like you know what it might trace back to. Did you ever see the uh, Moses movie? You know, or the Prince of Egypt, I should say. That you know, yeah, like everybody has because they still sing the songs to this day. Um, mm-hmm. there's a scene in that movie where they where Moses parts the Red Sea and they walk through, and then you see the outline of a whale and hear that noise. I think that did a number on me as a kid. That really Wasn't freaked that me. Wasn't that a giant shark? It was something big and it made noise. Maybe I'm am I misremembering? Oh my god, I'm having I, a false memory. I I seem to remember the the flukes being vertical. All right. On the tail. So I think it I think it was a shark, a giant. It was a megalodon that was living <laughs> in the Red Sea. Is that more plausible than a wh- whatever? I mean, it was something big and there was an ambient noise that happened. That's part of it. The other mm-hmm. is I I'm in that camp where I do get nervous of like just being underwater and in just nothingness mm. and hearing things. That freaks right. me out. And I know I mean you've you've I think recounted this on the on the um in the museum too and on some tours but that those the noise actually like physically hits you too which that i haven't had this experience yeah, yet but it does i, I haven't out. i haven't uh been diving specifically with whales but i have been diving uh like on a reef in hawaii and like there are humpbacks like just in the vicinity so you feel it scares me so much yeah it's so cool though but yeah oh. i mean i've also like i i I've been kayaking when dolphins come up next to you. Do they say hi? Well, the funny thing is they sound like old men gasping for air. (laughs) Oh my God, really? Well, yeah, when they come up because they're they're taking a breath. So it's just like you're you're kayaking and you're (laughs) 
all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's horrifying. Oh my god. Dolphins also freak <laughs> dolphins also freak me out. I think more than whales. Because whales I find very fascinating. And I and I think that fascination is. Hey, dolphins true. dolphins are whales. Aren't they a porpoise technically? Well, dolphins are a are a type of are a subset of toothed whale. Oh. Yeah, so like huh. beluga. I guess I didn't think of it. That, yeah, I guess that's belugas the... are technically a type of dolphin. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes it more clear. Oh well, yeah. Cause, right, they said this in the book. I should know. <laughs> but yeah, I always because <laughs> well, I think we don't look at them that way either, though. You know, like yeah. just popular culture wise. But uh, yeah, no dolphins. Dolphins. I mean, dolphins are brutal in their own way too, like the killer mm-hmm. whale. Maybe somehow worse. But uh, yeah, I never want to go swimming with the dolphins. That's what I want to leave here saying. I don't want to mm-hmm. do that like ever in my life. They freak me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I they, mean, you've done were... that technically because you went kayaking with them. So counts. But... <laughs> I didn't want to get in the water with them. Those little <laughs> psychos. They are psychotic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, I, I think yeah. this has been a good way for us to finally talk about what Moby Dick has sort of uh, awoken in us. This, uh, this yeah. feeling of, trying to trying to grapple with what exactly this relationship is with this animal that doesn't have uh, the apparent connections that you might think of it. It's not an animal that we think of as having this deep relationship with humans the way that, you know, we um, we, we talk about cats, dogs, birds having these long turbulent relationships with humanity uh whales are in there too mm-hmm. all they're global and yeah. their decline has you know sort of followed suit with uh global resource extraction yes. um but it also uh you know uh brought together a lot of the world too in a weird way yeah so uh we'll it, it's something to continue thinking about if, yes, we, if we can yes. kind of end it end it on that note in the hopes that we continue our relationship with whales and maybe one day broker some sort of new uh, treaty with the orcas. I don't think we need to be hunting as many mink whales anymore. Maybe we could, we, we could we'll do figure else. out something else that we want to. They do can help them. us attack the, the other whaling, the illegal whaling ships. What if, we, what if the government, okay, hear me out. This is like, <laughs> okay. What if, what if, okay. Cause you know how the only orcas that have killed humans are like orcas ca- held in captivity yeah actually yeah and sea world is actually now no longer um i think the orcas that are in captivity now they'll those are the last ones they're not going to do it anymore but pretend okay. that isn't happening um and let's say that the government like with the aliens at area 51 have already right. brokered a treaty with the orcas oh. and the orcas that we have in captivity are actually like D- really dangerous criminals like sea world is like alcatraz for orcas huh i hadn't thought about it that way i don't believe yes. this at, at all but that's also incredibly fun fa- i mean you can i if you posted that on reddit someone would believe it and spread it 100 percent is a criminal. Look at him. He's wearing a mask. And it's like, that's, that's just that's what orca space. whales look like. Look at his, 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 uh, his, his they're uh, reverse, r- reverse raccoons. <laughs> I have, 
my god! I never. They are the raccoons of the sea in a way. Hmm. Most criminal, you know, I guess. But, I don't know. There's a connection I, there. I guess. I I don't I don't almost hit a lot of uh, orcas on my drive home at night, but you know, I don't have to worry about orcas getting into my trash yet. Yet. <laughs> well, anyways, oh, yes. uh, I, I I think we we've balanced our information with misinformation. So uh, let's I, uh, yeah let's let's move on. <laughs> yes. I think I think the important thing to end on here is we have to save the whales. In all in all save, seriousness, that needs save, to happen. Save so. the whales. Um, broker a new treaty with the whales. Yes, and and mm-hmm. see how we can raise the declining populations because that's really really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, well, uh, whale, <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on to, uh, our, uh, next segment, uh, stick it or ticket. What have you mm. got this week, Joe? All right. So you're in luck because actually mm-hmm. on my way to the museum today, mm-hmm. I saw a bumper sticker because I haven't had any interesting ones. My life has been boring for the last two weeks and in, in regards to finding mm-hmm. some stickers, but I found a really, really gaudy one that mm-hmm. uh, amongst a bunch of other, you know, New Jersey themed stickers said mm-hmm. in a very just like aggressive type superhero font, Jersey grandma with a flower, <laughs> like real, like a solid, like six inches in length and then like three in height. It was, just right there on like the back of a Nissan. <laughs> and then I think there was a Lucy the Elephant above it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Somebody really Lu- likes wait, being what, a Lucy Jersey the grandma. Elephant? You don't know what that is? No, it's like. Oh, right. I don't know why you would. This is it's like a weird niche New Jersey thing. It's this like, I forget where that is in New Jersey. It's one of the shore towns, but it's this like big elephant statue that's like kind of cartoonish in a way, but also kind of realistic looking it's really large called lucy the elephant and it's like a big new jersey landmark beach landmark specifically you can like go inside i don't know why i don't know what the connection is i forget i used to know the history but yeah this is probably something that i believe it's called that actually i have no idea they they built during the great depression or something yeah maybe a little Um, after actually (laughs) it's like one of Um, those type of attractions you know that era of attractions mm -hmm. you know what i will support it over you know confederate monuments so yes Fair. uh yeah um i actually have not seen too many gems of mm. uh um bumper stickers this past week so i'm going to cheat slightly uh i saw a yellow volkswagen beetle with a uh vanity plate that said corn cob <laughs> What? No, that's fine. You can include this. What? <laughs> Corn cob. It's that also, is so good. Like, I get it because of the color, but also so like funny. I feel like that needs to be like a stretch limo. You know? <laughs> yeah, a yellow limo. No, it's it needs so, to be a long car. It's so funny. Corn cob. That's like a horse's like, name. That's what you named your horse or something. Or your cat. Corn, Corn cob. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i mean li- so with all funny. the like really specific names for all those like horses for breeding purposes uh right. I, I, there's got to be a horse named corn cob <laughs> probably yeah mm-hmm. oh my god nice um all right well 
Well, next, um, a, a quick uncanny correction. Uh, oh. I believe last exhibit I referred to Apatosaurus and Brontosaurus quite a few times as a species when they are a genus. Uh, I think I got a little uh, caught up in trying to keep all of the names uh, straight and just sort of erroneously referred to them as a as a species uh, when. Most of the time when we mention dinosaur names, we're actually talking about the genus. Um, so okay. Apatosaurus is a genus of dinosaur. Apatosaurus ajax would be a species of mm, dinosaur. Okay, okay. Um, so just just sort of a, a blanket uh, correction to uh, last last time we met. Gotcha. Good, good mm-hmm. too. We have to acknowledge our our miscorrections and then move forward that way we don't have misinformation you yes know, we yes i really want to bring it here yes i did also hear um from one source that uh the ladybugs that are dying uh on my bathroom floor uh by by the thousands it seems uh they may be uh trying to gather together for warmth as it uh, gets colder here in the northeast so oh uh, thank you Thank you to uh, the uh, the paleo art uh, pals that I am in contact with on uh, some unenlightening me. Mm, okay, they're not just pilgrimaging to your, uh, you know, to your to your bathroom floor. Then there's like a reason. I mean, I don't know. Maybe my <laughs> we maybe never is, will know. Maybe my house is on a ley line or something for ladybugs. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my going theory. You know, that's my. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna keep that anyways. Yeah. Um. Well, next, um, I believe we should uh, recommend some things that people can check out. Uh, sure. From uh, qualified recommendations from two uh, questionably qualified uh, museum docents. Fair enough. So, just in 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 starting off, I finished finally the uh, Napolitan Quartet. My or also known as my brilliant friend, the four book series by Elena Ferrante. And mm-hmm. I would highly recommend those. Again, I am somebody that does not like books in series. It is the best series I've ever read. It's probably the only series I've ever completed, actually, now that I think about it, where I bought and read all four books and they were incredible. It's maybe Lord of the Rings. No, never read them. Only read like part of the first one. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I don't do series. I actually they annoy me the closest i've got now is uh reading the uh dune books but like the trilogy which is then um dune the um, dune messiah and then children of dune because that's the atreides line and right. then it goes to like its own kind of thing after so technically you can read it that way oh, that would be about th- th- it this this is like dune but for naples right i don't know this is like <laughs> It's kind of hard to explain. I don't know if it would be like Dune, but it is this very, very detailed account of a town and of a family and of a friendship in particular growing from start to finish. Like we're talking Mm -hmm. the span of like over 60 years and what Mm. happens to people over time and how relationships can fluctuate and change and what draws us back to our hometowns and Mm -hmm. then why we leave or why we choose to stay and how actions can have consequences and Mm -hmm. it is very italian in its own way too but i think it's also very universal so i Mm -hmm. highly recommend them i think it's one of the best book series i've ever it's it's one of the best series of books i've ever read truly and um so i i definitely want to recommend those 
Um, I also just, you know, wanted to recommend this album I was listening to recently uh, called Hugo by Loyal Carner, an English rapper. Very, mm-hmm. very, or hip hop artist, I should say. Very, very good. It's a great album. Mm-hmm. Zan, you definitely got to check this out. I think you would like okay. it. Um, okay. I was just listening to it actually today. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much, that would be it in terms nice. of my immediate recommendations. So yeah, definitely check those things out if you're looking for just something new to spice up. Uh, your reading list, if you haven't read those before, mm-hmm. or, you know, just something new to listen to on your way to work or wherever. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I've been reading some, uh, you know, I've been back on my, you know, sort of short stories and essay kick, but uh, one book in particular that stands out that I just got in the mail, but I've already sort of uh, been diving into and loving every moment of it is uh, Social Studies by Fran Lebowitz. I was <laughs> finally able to find a reasonably priced copy on uh, thrift books. Uh, it's harder than you think, you know, despite her being, you know, such a well-known author, it's weirdly difficult to find uh, some of her, you know, classic books. Mm-hmm. Uh and they're they're oddly expensive. I I think just because there weren't very many printings. Right. Um, but uh, I think I I think reading her, we're maybe a little bit sick of sort of the archetype of like the overly authoritative, uh, you know, observer of human behavior. But. Right when you read Fran Lebowitz and you realize everyone else is just trying to copy her, like she is Mm. so good at it. And so witty that, uh, you, you, you kind of like, you, you realize like everyone else that like wants to talk like, uh, like a Tarantino character is, is really (sighs) riding off of, off of her very well tailored uh coattails and cowboy boots you know interesting uh, huh, yeah okay yeah Check it so out. uh yeah um the other thing is um that i've been uh listening to well one thing that i've been listening to and enjoying quite a bit uh artist uh kendra mckinley oh. uh actually saw her i found out about her because i w- watched her uh perform in kingston at a street fair Uh, And I actually, I had never heard of her. I looked her up uh, and it turns out she has a lot of material out there that she's been putting out and it is very good. I would highly recommend the song Dirty Laundry. Hmm. Um, But in addition to having a a very nice voice, she is also a really great guitar player. Oh, okay. Uh, And it's uh, poppy, but it's has a good indie sensibility to it as well uh some fun percussion and stuff on there uh just if you're if you're looking for a good album to get some work done to uh i recommend it all right i'll have to check that out too thanks mm-hmm. for the rec no nice. worries definitely gonna check those out mm-hmm. yes um we also recommend the book moby dick by yeah Fernando. i guess so if anything <laughs> yes definitely i yeah. do i do recommend it i'm pretty sure i gave mm. it a four out of five on goodreads so nice. that's my yes. that's my rating for it um mm-hmm. four out of five starbucks yes yes oh we didn't make a starbucks <laughs> joke oh my gosh uh, iconic character we'll, starbucks. we'll make jokes again one day if we ever talk about battlestar galactica true yeah i guess yeah. so 
Um, oh man. Well, this yes. has been really interesting for sure. It has. Um, what do you have going on, Joe, before we uh, sign out? Uh, not too much. I did get accepted into a into this film festival entitled the In and Out Film Festival. It's their fifteenth edition, and it's in Poland, which is exciting. Ooh. And I and I'm one out of twenty that's going to be shown there. So wow. that was some pretty cool news. Uh, and I've also been making some new music, so I'm hoping to be publishing some things in the near future. It takes me forever to mix, so we're looking at a we're looking at an early de- or late December if at the earliest (laughs) of getting things done and realistically probably gonna be later than that but still making some new things really experimenting this time around i'm hoping to be promoting more that way um but zan what do you have going on um nothing too crazy to say definitively just yet got some irons in the fire that hopefully will uh come to something i've got my work up uh at the uh Artist Collective of Hyde Park in Hyde Park, New York, uh, up for the show Fire and Ice. I'm also there occasionally on the weekends, gallery sitting. So nice. uh, definitely come by, check out me and the other artists there. For um, sure, for sure. And uh, as always, my work is at zanpeters.com. Uh, and uh, that's about all I can say definitively at okay. the moment. Okay. Uh, Hopefully I'll be able to announce some other things soon as well that are just taking me forever. Sure. Um, but yeah, if you would like to visit the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Um, if you have any uh, questions for us, comments, uh, you are welcome to DM us on Instagram or you can send us an email at... Um, uncanny county museum at gmail.com we really appreciate hearing from people uh and we may just uh read some stuff uh here at the museum Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. if you are able to we've uh got a lot of lovely uh subscription options uh at patreon.com with lots of great rewards at different levels of support uh, if you're looking for a free way to support the museum, you can give us a rating or a review uh, wherever you are listening to your podcasts from. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. If you want to find me after hours, I'm at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Josemino. Oh, no.